Welcome each of you who is here today for this hour of worship. We're glad to have you here if you're visiting with us. And we do invite you to please come back to worship with us on many future occasions. Uh, several announcements. Um, please sign up today for our first wonderful Wednesday, which is uh, this coming Wednesday, the 16th. You can see Katie Jeter today if you've got a child that... Uh, uh, yeah, this is a children's program, Don, so you don't want to come to one. Well, maybe you do want to come to Wonderful Wednesday. But you could also sign up online at greerchurch.com um, or see Katie later today. And there's also an announcement in your bulletin about the afternoon of fellowship and fun at Lake Cunningham uh, two Sundays from now. Uh, Barbara Burnside Pennington has passed away this week, and her memorial service uh, will be on Saturday the 26th of June um, so we invite you to be present for that at 4 p.m. Don Watson has been in the hospital again this week and our custodian Thomas Schultz had a heart attack and is at uh, Greenville Memorial Hospital having had some stents placed around his heart uh, will be out for a while. We remind you of the administrative board meeting following worship this morning. Um, please be present for that if you're a member. Tomorrow night, the youth will be bussing tables at the clock and earning a percentage of the sales from the clock tomorrow night to help finance their mission trip coming up. So we invite you to eat out tomorrow night at the clock and uh, help in that uh, fundraiser to help our youth as they raise money for their upcoming mission trip. Katie Jeter has a word to share with us uh, this morning, our Children's and Family Ministry Director. Good morning. I just wanted to take a minute to personally thank everyone here who helped make Saddle Ridge Ranch such a success this past week. Our kids had a great time here on the ranch, and I'm very glad that we're done with our week so I can retire my cowboy boots. Had to wear them every night for the kids, but we had a lot of fun, and we had 60 kids um, participate this past week, so that was wonderful. You could um, check out some pictures and also a video that we showed at our 9 o'clock service this morning at greerchurch.com, and it would definitely be worth your while to look at the kids and what they did this week. So check those out. And again, thank you so much for your help and support this week. You probably had trouble finding a parking place when you came this morning because the children, not all 60, but a, a huge crowd of children, um, 
led part of the early service with songs and, and there are costumes and whatnot. And uh, they were wonderful to watch and they blessed our early service this morning. Uh, we kind of take turns between the two services with the children to let the early crowd see them on some occasions and you folks on others. So uh, it was certainly a wonderful thing and we had a humongous crowd out there and I knew every one of them came to hear me preach. Right. Uh, they always come to see the grandchildren, you know, and the other, other children uh, in, in their performances. One typo, and you have to understand how these things happen. The, the uh, middle, middle hymn today, the, the uh, number is correct, but the title is Rescue the Perishing. What happens is right when June goes to type something, the phone rings and three people come in the office and somebody rings the doorbell. And you just don't get back to where you were, right, June? <laughs> so uh, we appreciate all June does for us, but you might make note of that. Uh, we, since we had most of the children at the early service, uh, don't see any little ones today, so we will uh, not be doing our children's sermon as printed in the bulletin. We'll save that for another week. Let us now begin our time together in worship. Thank <laughs> you. 
Affirmation of Faith is the Apostles' Creed, found on page 881. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From the midst he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of life, and the life of the Christ. The Old Testament passage is uh, rather lengthy, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to give you a preface to it and then uh, finish uh, reading uh, part of it. If you read the whole thing, you will see that things haven't changed a great deal. Uh, here we have a situation of... Uh, uh, political uh, misuse of power as uh, there was a vineyard belonging to a man named Naboth. Uh, it was close to King Ahab's uh, palace and King Ahab wanted it and Naboth said, no, this is ancestral land. Uh, Lord forbid that I would part with what my fathers received from God and have passed on to me. And uh, the king's uh, wife Jezebel said, hey, you're the king. You can have it. You can get it. So she cooked up a plan to uh, have Naboth and friends from the town over to the palace. Then she accused Naboth in public of uh, having cursed God and plotted against the king. And so they took him outside and stoned him to death. And thus the field was vacated and uh, King Ahab was able to uh, take it over. Sounds like something you might read in the paper happening even from time to time in modern days. Uh, but this is where the story uh, brings in the prophet to that story. The word of the Lord, verse 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules Samaria. He's now in Naboth's uh, vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I found you, he answered because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I am going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. Here ends the lesson. The responsive reading is uh, Psalm 8 which is on page 843. I invite you to stand as you're able, as together we share God's word responsively. <clears throat> o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
Your glory is chanted above the heavens by the mouth of babes and infants. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, what are human beings that you're mindful of them? Yet you have made them a little less than God. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. All sheep and oxen. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord. Our epistle reading is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I build up what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together for a time in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for this church and for its long history of serving in the name of Christ in this community. We have gathered here a lot in recent days to baptize little ones, to send them off on their journey in faith. We have gathered here to sing, hear little children sing your praises as we see those seeds that we have sown in their lives begin to flower. We've gathered here to celebrate love as members of this community have been married in this place. We've come together to celebrate the church triumphant and eternal life and to remember our friends who have joined that army in heaven. So we're thankful, Lord, for what you continue to do through us in this place. We are mindful that there have been so many others who've come before us. And by your grace and blessing, there will be many who come after us to proclaim to this community the importance of following Jesus, living by his example, proclaiming him as Lord and Savior. We're thankful for great stories of the faith, for a prophet named Elijah who challenged even a powerful king who would step outside the will of God and misuse his power. Thank you for the prophetic word of the church that speaks to our world to remind our world that nothing escapes the watchful eye of Almighty God. We are wonderfully reminded that we are saved not by our ancestry or our experience of religion, but by what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we celebrate, Lord, that your love, as expressed in Jesus, was extended to all people, but especially to those who had fallen so short of the life they were intended to, lead, to live. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to always be mindful of those around us who need that kind of embracing love of Jesus, those who have fallen so short of the life that they should have lived, but they are nevertheless people you love deeply and intensely. Lord, we remember our friends in their special time of need. We pray your blessings upon them. We pray for your sustaining and healing grace. We pray for those that are discouraged, especially those who are out of work, that they might receive encouragement and find work. 
We pray for those who are searching for love and faith and pray that you might lead these folks to, lo to the loving embrace of Jesus, their Savior. For it is in his name that we pray as he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel lesson is Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36 and reading through chapter 8, verse 3. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, a manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Here ends the lesson. Annual conference session is drawing to a close about now, down in Florence, and that can only mean one thing. We are just several weeks away now from the annual game of musical chairs that preachers in South Carolina play. On Wednesday, June the 30th, pastors who are moving have to be out of their current parsonages by high noon so that a new pastor can check in at 12.01. Theoretically, churches are never without a pastor in our itinerant system. 
It is said that all United Methodist pastors please 100% of their church members at some time during their tenure at the church. About a third of the people are happy when the new preacher gets there. Another third is happy with the pastor while he's there. And the final one-third becomes happy when the pastor leaves. If that is true, 33% of you won't be happy for, with me for at least one more year. Uh, the first few months at any new church is very interesting, as Carolinda and, and uh, Don can attest. Because those first few months at a church is when everybody is checking out the new pastor. And the pastor is checking everybody out, too, trying to figure out who that, in that congregation is someone he or she can trust. If there's been a division in the church, all sides will try to recruit the pastor to join their side. And so the pastor can count on many invitations for meals during those first few months. The invitations stop the moment the pastor chooses sides. And so a wise and hungry pastor will maintain neutral in such conflicts. The setting of today's gospel lesson is that kind of a time in Jesus' ministry. It's still early on. Religious leaders are still trying to figure him out and trying to decide whether or not to come down on his side or not. And Jesus is busy trying to figure out who among the religious establishment he can trust. Being new in town and in his ministry, he too received an invitation to dinner at the house of Simon the Pharisee. That would give Simon and his close Pharisee buddies a chance, a chance to examine Jesus very closely and personally. And it would also give Jesus a chance to judge if Simon might be a friend or a foe. Well, it didn't take Jesus long to figure it out <clears throat> that Simon was not going to be a friend because Simon did not consider Jesus to be an equal much less a rabbi worthy of respect because the very common courtesies that someone would extend to a guest in those days were not extended to Jesus. There was no traditional kiss of welcome on the cheek or the hand as we still see on our television sets in the Middle East today. There was no offer to wash the dirty feet of the guest, nor was there the offer of a refreshing perfume oil for Jesus' face and head. Simon clearly thinks that Jesus is a social and intellectual inferior, and his lack of courtesies clearly indicate this. Therefore, Jesus knew almost immediately that he was not among friends. We're told that the diners reclined at their table in the manner that was typical of that era. One would recline or lie on the left side and eat with the right hand only. Servants would serve you the food from either behind you or there was a little U-shaped opening uh, in that U-shaped table that they could come and place food on the table. The exterior doors to the house would not have been locked and they would remain open to allow a breeze to come through. 
but that also meant that people from the streets could come in if they so desired. One woman heard that Jesus was there and she so desired. She slipped in as if she were one of the servants and she came up behind Jesus and began weeping while she was standing over his feet. The tears must have come from a flood tide of pent-up emotions because there were enough tears to wash the dirt off of Jesus' feet. Having nothing to dry his feet with, the woman used her long hair as a towel. Then she began kissing Jesus' feet before she poured perfume on them. Now I want this picture to really get painted in your mind this morning. This wasn't over in 30 seconds. This went on for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes. How long does it take to cry enough tears to wash all the dirt off of someone's feet? During this long, uncomfortable time, why didn't somebody do something? Everybody seemed to be frozen in place. Why didn't the host, Simon, offer a female servant, order a female servant to to gently escort the female intruder to another room of the house or maybe back outside, why didn't Jesus do something? This poor woman stood behind Jesus for a very long time, raining tears down upon Jesus' feet. And then she dried her, his feet with her probably unclean hair. How long would all of this taken? Nobody moved when she began kissing Jesus' feet, something that must have looked very improper and seductive to everyone who was there. If you invited your pastor to your house for dinner, and I think I have a few openings this week, (laughs) if you invited your pastor to your house and a woman of questionable reputation somehow got into your house and began lavishing uh, inappropriate attention upon your pastor, wouldn't you do something to stop it? Wouldn't you expect me to do something to stop it? Don't you know that Miss Penny would rise up and stop it? (laughs) How odd it seems to me as I read this story to see that everybody was just frozen in place. I guess they were in shock. Even when she took out that bottle of perfume and poured it all over Jesus' feet and the fragrance of that perfume filled the room, removing all the delicious fragrance of the kitchen that had come into that room with the food, there is just no way you would have been able to ignore what was going on. Stop for a minute and consider that this may have been very difficult for Jesus to sit there and take. Now, I am not someone who reacts very well with grace when someone thanks me for something I've done in ministry. I've had to learn that people have the need to say thanks, and I should let them and say, you're welcome. Was Jesus allowing this to happen even though it made him very uncomfortable? because he knew this woman needed something. She needed 
to express her thanks to God through him. Jesus had a way of making people feel forgiven and reconnected to Almighty God, and he had obviously done that for this woman already. Having prophetic powers, he certainly knew what others in the room were thinking, but he was also aware of what was going on inside of this woman. Those tears were tears of sorrow and joy, sorrow for her sins and joy that Jesus had enabled her to feel God's love once again. Jesus had to be aware that something magnificent was happening right there before his very eyes. Salvation was happening, and nothing must interrupt that, not even his discomfort. He would say nothing and do nothing, as difficult as that might have been, and he didn't want anyone else to do anything that might interrupt what God was doing in this child of God's life. It is clear that Simon thought that Jesus is the one who ought to do something to restrain this exuberant woman. Simon said to himself and probably to someone close by him, this guy Jesus can't be that much of a prophet. If he were, he would certainly know what kind of a woman this is who is touching him she is a vile sinner. Everyone in town knows about her. I now question Jesus' ability to discern truth from fiction and good from bad. Simon just made up his mind as to which side he would be on, and it wasn't Jesus' side. After what must have seemed like uh, an eternity without any conversation, Jesus finally broke the silence, but it isn't the woman that he speaks to, it's Simon. Simon, I've got something to tell you. And then Jesus began telling something that must have just seemed like he was totally off the wall. Do you hear the story, Simon, about the two men that owed money to a lender? Simon must have thought, what in the world has that got to do with anything that's going on in my house right now? Jesus continued, two men owed money to a lender. One owed an amount equal to more than a year's pay. The other one owed an amount equal to a month's salary. Neither of them could repay the loan, and so the lender decided to cancel both debts. The lender just wrote off the bad debts. Which of these men would love the lender more? Jesus asked. Simon correctly answered that it would be the one who had the larger debt, not realizing that he just answered the question of why this woman was acting in the manner that she was and why Simon had been so stingy with his courtesies to Jesus. Simon, you see, was not conscious that he owed God anything. Self-righteous people never are. But this woman knew how sinful she was, and she knew how huge her debt to God was. God was on earth, acting in Christ to cancel all of our debts, yours, mine, Simon's. But Simon wasn't conscious of the fact that he owed any debts to God. Consequently, he had not shown God's messenger any expression of gratitude. And on the other hand, 
The one who was conscious of having been forgiven much had not stopped expressing her gratitude from the moment she had arrived. If one is not conscious of needing forgiveness, one cannot experience forgiveness or express gratitude. But if one is conscious of sin, as this woman was, then that one can experience forgiveness. Having been forgiven much, that person will show excessive expressions of love. I tell you, Jesus said, you who were forgiven very little, love very little. But she loves so much because her many sins have been forgiven. Only then, after he had explained the meaning of the actions of this woman to others, did Jesus finally address her. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The one who had helped her feel God's love again assured her again that what she was experiencing was real and true. She was forgiven. She was saved, not by her own goodness, but by her belief that what Jesus had told her about God was true. God is the one who declares us forgiven, and that's the reason you and I are forgiven. Jesus' life, his teaching, his death on the cross, and his resurrection were all expressions of the forgiveness that God was giving us all freely. Our sins are forgiven. Our faith saves us. We, too, may live in peace with God. The story ends with a question. Actually, it ends with two questions. The guests have one of the questions. Who is this man who forgives sins? That really is the question we all have to decide ultimately in life. Who is this one who has an almost magical, mystical power to make us feel forgiven by God and reattached to our maker? What is it about this person that's so special? Many of us have come to believe that his abilities are quite unique because he is God's Messiah, God's son. The other question is this, which will you be? Will you be Simon, who thought he was so good that he didn't need forgiveness, and consequently he never got to experience the love that God was offering him in Christ? Or will you be like that sinful woman and acknowledge the great debt that you owe to God and consequently experience God's love and forgiveness in your life? Which will you be? And will your gratitude to God overflow into the lives of others, or will your gratitude be as stingy as Simon's? Life always comes down to decisions, doesn't it? Let us be thankful to God that when it came to making a decision that caused Jesus the great discomfort of the cross, that he made that decision in our favor. And during that suffering, just as he endured the embarrassment caused by that woman's actions, 
embracing those moments so that we might be saved. Amen.